Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor as he faces new dangers and makes new friends in The Face of Evil. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so as always to join the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now, before we jump into Paddy's lovely recap, uh, I should apologise for the fact that we've been dead silent for about a month and a half. That was my fault. Uh, two things. One, job got in the way. Stupid real life. Mm. Second thing, I went to Vegas. <laughs> yes, because you're a massive nerd. Yes, I am. And I got to meet some of our lovely friends from Mission Log and a lot of people from the Mission Log Patreon group and whatever, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, for those of you who have been waiting for this episode, who've been waiting to hear our thoughts on the face of evil and the characters introduced here, my apologies sincerely for the delay. It was essentially my fault. <laughs> I have a feeling now that people are just kind of like, they were really taking the fact that you didn't want, like you hadn't seen past Sarah Jane consecutively. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, I'm just not going to do it anymore. It ends with Sarah Jane leaving. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's not. Yeah. not. Um, but one of our <laughs> lovely loyal listeners and friends, Paul, mm-hmm. did remind me the other day that it had been many, many weeks. And so, again, I apologize. And hi, Paul. <laughs> hi, Paul. Cool. So, buddy, over to you. Cool. Recap, right. please. Recap. Part one. In a meeting hall, the men of the Seva Team tribe gather to determine the fate of one of their female members. They all agree, although some of them do so reluctantly, that she must be banished, but one of them, Tomas, tries to defend her. The female, whose name is Leela, says that she doesn't want their pity, and they simply told them the truth. The tribal shaman, Neva, says that she is guilty of blasphemy by questioning the directive of their god, Zoanan, who ordered them to attack their enemy, the Tesh. Leela defiantly states that there is no Zoanan, but the tribal chief, Andor, speaks up before Neva can retort. He asks Leela if she is willing to face the test of the Horda for her statements, but she refuses. Andrew opens the challenge to the rest of the tribe, and her father, Sole, says that he will take it on. Leela begs him to stop, saying that she will recant her statements, but Andor tells her that doing so will only shame her father. Sole's screams fill the air, and Leela is banished from the tribe, with Andor saying that she must be off their land before sunrise, or she would be brought back to face the test herself. Elsewhere, the TARDIS lands in a petrified forest, and the Doctor gets out, seeing that he has not landed at his intended destination of Hyde Park. He decides to take a look around and see if there is any clues to his location. Meanwhile, Leela is being pursued through the forest by a pair of hunters. She manages to get the drop on one of them and kills him with her crossbow, but another one appears and prepares to kill her while she reloads. However, he is killed by Tomas, who says that he has come to bring her back. She says that she can't go back and intends to keep going into the realm beyond. Tomas warns her of the creatures lurking there, but she says that they are just stories and that whatever is out there she can handle by herself. She tells him to go back and warns him to be wary of Caleb, the one who brought the accusations against her, as he is planning something. The Doctor makes his way through the forest, whistling to himself as he does so, but he stops when he hears a creature approaching him. At that moment, Leela, who was also avoiding the creature, trips and lands in front of the Doctor. He greets her, but she warily calls him the Evil One. He is taken aback by this, but introduces himself and offers her a jelly baby. She recalls in horror, saying that the stories of his fondness for eating babies are true, but he says that they are only sweets. As she inspects one of the sweets, he notices more growling and asks if she knows what they are. She tells him that they are his invisible servants, and this gives him an idea. 
He takes out an old alarm clock out of his pockets and says that since they are invisible, the creatures are more than likely drawn to the vibrations in order to hunt their prey. He tells her to quietly follow him and only run when he tells her to. They slowly make their way through the forest, but the doctor ends up falling to the ground, drawing the attention of the creatures. However, the alarm clock goes off and draws them away, allowing the doctor and Leela to escape. They put as much distance between themselves and the creatures and eventually come to a rest, with Leela saying that they have crossed the boundary line that the creatures never approach. The doctor asks why they don't follow, and Leela again tells him that he should know as they are his servants. The doctor again says that he is not the evil one, and says that there must be some sort of fence or barrier that stops the creatures from following them. Back at the Seventeen village, Thomas meets Caleb and tells him about the hunters, saying that they were sent by Neva. Caleb says that Neva is getting nervous that his power will be brought into question. Caleb says that if the upcoming raid fails, then Neva will look like a fraud, and that will allow him to take control of the tribe away from him and Andor, who he says is a puppet king. In his hut, Neva receives a message from Zoanan, whose voice comes from a series of antiquated-looking computers, who says that Leela is still alive and is back across the boundary. Zoanan tells him to destroy her and the person with her. The Doctor and Leela eventually find a relay circuit, partially buried in the ground. He explains that it is the thing that keeps the creatures away, causing them mental pain if they get too close. He says that it is highly advanced technology and wonders who could have put it there. Leela says that it must belong to Zoanan and explains to the Doctor who he is, saying that he is held captive by the evil one and his followers who are called the Tesh. The Doctor asks where Zoanan is and she says that he is within a structure called the Black Wall, which holds paradise. Sensing that this is more than religious terminology, the Doctor asks if it is a real location and Leela starts to lead him to it. They make their way through the forest and Leela suddenly tells him to take cover and be quiet. The Doctor is confused by her actions, but suddenly two arrows hit the tree where he is standing and a voice tells him to surrender. The Doctor tells Leela to leave, but she refuses and he calls out to the assailants, questioning their shooting skill. A quartet of men emerge from the trees and demand to know where Leela is. The Doctor turns around to speak to them and they too refer to him as the evil one, blessing themselves as they do so. The Doctor plays into their belief and tries to turn them into toads if they approach. He then comments on their blessing, which he says is reminiscent of the checking of the safety seals of a spacesuit. He then uses their distraction and draws out a jelly baby, threatening to kill a nearby warrior with it unless they drop their weapons. The leader, though, calls his bluff and the Doctor demands to be brought to their leader instead. In the meeting hall, Andor confronts Neva over the lack of game for the hunters to kill, and Neva says Zoanan is withholding his blessing until he is freed. He says that the time for the attack will be soon and the warriors should be gathered. After he leaves, Thomas emerges and tells Andor of the attempt to kill Leela and accuses him of having knowledge of it. Andor angrily denies the claim and tells him that he is not to speak out against the attack either. They then leave and once they are gone, Neva appears having listened to their conversation. Later, as the preparations are being made for the attack, the Doctor is brought to the meeting hall and Neva starts a warding off ceremony. The Doctor recognises the relic that he is using for the ceremony as an ultra-beam accelerator and tells him to be careful as it could contain a deadly residual charge. Neva takes his nervousness and his request to be set free as proof of his nature of the evil one. Andor demands that he release Zoanan, but the doctor says that he is not trapping him. Andor takes out a knife to kill him in order to free Zoanan, but Neva stops him, saying that he needs to perform the battle litany first. Andor agrees, and a guard is sent to summon the warriors. The guard rings the summoning bell, which is a large piece of sheet metal with the words Survey Team 6 written on the side of it. The Doctor explains to Andor that he is not the evil one and that his tribe and its society seem to be built around the equipment left over from ancient space travellers. A doubtful Andor leaves in anger and tells the guard to ignore the Doctor. A short while later, Neva returns wearing the remains of a spacesuit as a ceremonial robe and gives the guard a secret instruction. Unbeknownst to them, they are being watched by Leela, who managed to sneak back into the village. Neva then goes and leads the warriors in the battle litany, which calls for the murder of the Tesh, who betrayed the Seventeen. 
Leda sneaks into the meeting hall and stabs the guard with a Janus thorn, which she explains to the doctor first paralyzes and then kills any who are scratched with it. Leda says that they need to leave as the litany will soon call for his death. The doctor asks if she knows the whole litany and she says that she does, leading him through a hole in the wall that she had made. Another member of the tribe tries to climb through the wall after them, but Leela stabs him with another Janus thorn, cutting off their pursuit. The doctor angrily tells her not to use them again, and they flee as the rest of the warriors are summoned to give chase. She leads them through the forest and they eventually come to a clearing which shows a gigantic stone carving of a face. Leela says that it is the image of the evil one, and the doctor sees that the carving is of his face. Part 2 The doctor says that he can't remember coming to the planet before, and says that he may have landed on another part of it. Leela says that nothing exists beyond the boundary bar the wastelands and the doctor says they need to go back to the village. Leela opposes the idea but he says that the tribe will be too busy preparing for the raid. Back in the village Andor tells Neva that their warriors refuse to attack whilst the doctor is loose but Neva says the window for opportunity is closing and they must need to attack immediately. He says that Zoanan has decreed the attack must go ahead and that a victory is assured but Andor warns him of the price of failure. Neva goes to commune with Zoanan but he gets no response and he is called away to join the raiding party. Unbeknownst to him, he is being observed by the Doctor and Leela, who wait for him to leave so they can examine the relics in his room. The Doctor examines a nearby helmet on a pedestal, and the voice of Zoanan suddenly comes from it, asking for Neva. Leela covers her ears in fear, but the Doctor explains that it is just a radio signal coming true and not the voice of a god. He starts to speak to Zoanan, who seems to be happy to hear the Doctor's voice, as if he recognises it, and says that at last he will be free. A confused Doctor asks who Zoanan really is, and he replies saying, Don't I know? Worried, the doctor asks Leela if the voice sounded familiar, and she says that it sounds like his. The doctor says they need to go to the boundary wall. They make their way to it, and the doctor realizes that it is a time barrier. He explains that there is no way through it unless it is bridged, and they realize that the raiding party is walking into a trap, and they rush to stop them. Andor orders the charge, and the warriors rush to the wall, but several of them are cut down by beams of light, including Neva. The survivors return to the village with Caleb being the first amongst them and is greeted by the doctor who has deduced that they wouldn't be able to stop the raid and so went to the village instead. Leela emerges from hiding and holds him at knife point and he reveals the outcome of the raid. Leela accuses him of cowardice but the doctor cuts off their argument and asks Caleb for his help. Caleb agrees saying that he doesn't believe the doctor to be the evil one but asks to know everything. The doctor begins explaining about the barrier but Caleb uses the distraction to stab Leela with a Janus thorn. Caleb says that he will use the revelation of the Doctor not being the evil one to take away control of the tribe from Neva and Andor. Suddenly Thomas bursts in and blames the failure of the attack on Caleb. The Doctor turns the table on him by tripping him up and taking up Leela's crossbow. He then gets Thomas and Caleb to take Leela to Neva's chamber, holding the latter at crossbow point. The Doctor has them place her in Neva's bed and tells Thomas to guard Caleb. He says the bed is actually a bio bed and he intends to use it to create a cure for the Janus poison. Caleb uses Thomas's concern for Leela to distract him as the doctor works and then flees to raise the alarm. The doctor tells Thomas to keep guard whilst he administers the antidote to Leela, who slowly starts to come around. Thomas says that more worries are coming and the doctor tells him to take a protesting Leela to safety. He goes into the meeting hall where he is cornered by Caleb and his men, as well as a returning Neva. They are joined shortly by Leela and Thomas, who are captured by Andor and the remnants of the raiding party. Caleb's followers start to blame Neva for the failure of the attack, but he and Andor said it was the doctor who defeated them. The Doctor and Leela protest his innocence, saying that it was a trap, but Leela makes matters worse by saying that it was Zoanan who laid the trap. Neva orders him to be sent to face the Horda. Caleb and Neva then argue whether or not the test will kill the Doctor, thereby questioning his godhood and giving Caleb the advantage in the power struggle. The Doctor is brought to the Horda pit, which is filled with small, snake-like creatures that Caleb describes as being similar to piranhas in their speed and lethality. The Doctor is given a crossbow and told to stand on a platform. 
Neela gives him a warning about the test and is slapped by one of Caleb's men for her interference. In anger, the doctor flicks one of the horda that Caleb showed him onto the men, who then takes off screaming into the forest as it bites into him. The test then starts as one of the warriors starts to turn a crank and the platform starts to separate, revealing a pit of horda beneath it. The doctor sees a stone weight being lowered, which coincides with the separating of the platform, and he realises that's what Leela's clue was in relation to. At that moment, Leela manages to get free of her bonds and attempts to rescue the doctor, but she is soon stopped. The doctor then fires the crossbow and severs the rope holding the weight, thereby stopping the platform from separating. He thanks Leela for her clue, but chalks his success up to his marksmanship, which he says he learned from William Tell. He orders Thomas to be freed and then goes to Neva's room, where he finds him in a trance speaking with Zoanan, who is now speaking in a different voice. The doctor addresses Zoanan, which reverts back to his memory of the doctor's voice and says that it has decided to kill him. He reveals that he is turned off the protective relays and that his invisible creatures will soon attack. The doctor tells Leela and Thomas to inform the warriors about the creatures and to place them on guard around the village whilst he starts to tinker with the equipment in Neva's room. When he comes back, he reveals that the equipment belonged to a planetary survey team, saying that that is where the seven team's name comes from. Caleb asks if they were the captors of the survey team or their descendants, but the doctor says that he doesn't know. The doctor then hands Thomas an ad hoc blaster and says that it has a recharge capacity, but he needs to use it sparingly. He then goes with Leela to set up a sonic barrier to try and keep the creatures out. The doctor then tries to figure out a way to bridge the time barrier, but says that he would have to dismantle the TARDIS to do so. Leela asks him, since the barrier is supposedly impenetrable to everything, how have they been able to hear Zoanan, leading the doctor to call her genius before heading back to the village? The doctor finds Neva in a trance again and begins to question him about the voice, but Neva only repeats the phrase, yes, master. The doctor then pretends to be Zoanan and again asks where the voice comes from, and Neva says that it comes from the shrine in his room. The doctor says that he knows where the bridge is and makes his way with Lena to the giant face carving. As they make their way there, they hear the warning bell from the village, which Leela says must be from a panicking guard. They arrive at the face and make their way into the mouth, which is actually a tunnel into the mountain. Back near the village, Thomas and Andor go into the forest to investigate the source of the alarm. Andor is suddenly attacked by one of the invisible creatures, and Thomas attacks it with using the blaster. The blast reveals the creature, which actually resembles the doctor's floating head, screaming. Andor dies, and Thomas continues to use the blaster at the oncoming creatures. Part 3 Caleb arrives and calls Thomas back to safety. Thomas tells him what happened and Caleb says that they should get back to the village where he intends to take over leadership of the tribe. In the tunnel, the doctor and Leela see a figure wearing a similar space to Neva's, only this one is fully intact. They watch as he disappears through a section of the wall and they go to take a look at it. Through another tunnel exit, the doctor sees the remains of a spaceship and he remembers his previous visit to the planet. Leela calls him back and asks him to help him find the figure, calling him a Tesh. The doctor tells her that the wall is actually an illusion and guides her through it into an anti-grav transporter which takes them to the ship. Meanwhile, in a chamber with several large screens, several voices of Zoanan rejoice that they will be soon be one once they are destroyed. A short while later, the doctor and Leela find themselves in a shrine similar to the one in Neva's chambers. The doctor asks Leela to recount the litany of battle and realises what is after occurring as she speaks it. He tells her that the survey team are the descendants of the ship's survey team and that the Tesh are descendants of the ship's technicians. He begins to tell her about his previous visit, which unbeknownst to him would lead to the current rivalry, but they are interrupted by several Tesh, all wearing clothes reminiscent of a flight uniform. Neil aims her crossbow at them, but one of them stares at her intently, and she slowly lowers her to the floor before going unconscious. The doctor tells him to stop, but he assures him that she is not damaged and has some other Tesh take her away. He then venerates himself before the doctor, addressing him as Lord and introducing himself as Jabel, 
captain of the Tesh. The doctor asks if the Tesh have a holy purpose, and Jabel responds that they serve Zoanan and tend to his sanctums. The doctor then realizes that the two groups' uh, differing skill sets and capabilities seem to be a result of some type of eugenics experiment. He asks where Zoanan is, and Jabel says that he is all around him and begins spouting religious diatribes, but the doctor ignores him and starts looking for a working computer to try and stop Zoanan. Meanwhile, Leela has been taken to a particle analyzer room and strapped to a table to be killed by a beam in 15 minutes. Not finding a working computer, the doctor asks where Zoanan's main shrine is, and Jabel tells him the deck that it is on. Before he leaves, he sees Leela on a security monitor, and he asks Jabel what is happening. Jabel says that she will be analyzed so they can see how the Seven Team have gained the ability to break through the weak points in the barrier, but the doctor retorts that Zoanan is the one who is letting them in. Jabel calls him a liar and declares that he is not the Lord of Time that was prophesied to come save them. The doctor goes to rescue Leela, but Jayla stops him with his mental powers and he is taken to the chamber and strapped down near Leela. He wakes back up with 30 seconds remaining on the timer and he instructs Leela to close her eyes. He then uses a small hand mirror he had hidden up his sleeve to reflect the beam back into its housing, destroying it. It shorts out the entire system and their straps release them, allowing them to escape. This is reported to Jabel, who orders them both to be killed. As they make their way through the ship, the doctor explains to Leela that Zoanan is actually the ship's computer, which has developed a schizophrenic personality. He explains that he helped program Zoanan in the past, but forgot to remove his own memory print from the data core, resulting in the multiple personalities the computer now exhibits. Unbeknownst to them, they are being monitored by Zoanan. They eventually find an auxiliary communications room, and the doctor looks for an active terminal. He turns on one of the monitors, which shows the camera feed near the village, and they watch as the seventeen warriors retreat. Leela says the monsters, which the doctor says are psychokinetic projections from Zoanan, have broken through the defences. She says that she needs to go back, but the doctor says that there is nothing that she can do to help them from there. The doctor then picks up a communicator and attempts to contact Neva, telling him to bring the tribe through the mouth of the carving so that they would be safe from the monsters. Leela says the Tesh will kill them, but the doctor says that at least they will have a chance against them. Neva agrees, and the doctor and Leela make their way to Zoanan's core. At the core, they find it guarded by a Tesh, but using the doctor's hat as a decoy, Leela manages to incapacitate him. The doctor tells her to wait outside to keep watch whilst he goes to inside to face Zoanan. Meanwhile, at the entrance to the statue, Caleb and Thomas kill a guard patrolling the tunnel. Caleb tells Thomas to bring the rest of the tribe whilst he and another hunter scout on ahead. In Zoanan's core, several voices of different ages and genders ask the doctor who he is. The doctor identifies himself and says that he has come to fix his error. He explains that when he first encountered the ship, it had crashed on the planet centuries beforehand and he attempted to fix the data core by forging a mental link with it. However, the data core hadn't been damaged as the technicians on the ship had kept working on it for generations, trying to make a perpetual power source for it. As a result, they accidentally created Zoanan. When the doctor connected to Zoanan, the computer imprinted on him and took his personality traits. Unfortunately, the adopted personality conflicted with Zoanan's own natural personality, resulting in the current state of mental distress. Outside, Leela does her best to keep the Tesh guards at bay, killing several of them before the energy in her blaster runs out. Inside the chamber, the doctor tries to get Zoanan to see that he is not a part of it, but the computer refuses to acknowledge his separate existence. Several images of the doctor's face appear on the holographic screens, screaming no over and over again. The doctor then faints from the psychokinetic output, and then Zoanna asks, in a child's voice, who am I? Part 4 Outside the corridor, Leela draws her knife and prepares to fight off the guards. The power suddenly grows dim, and the guards back off fearfully. Leela grabs one of them and demands to know what is going on, and he says it is a sign of the end times. Leela picks up his gun and enters Zoanna's chamber. She sees the doctor on the floor and begins shooting at the screens, forcing Zoanna to retreat. 
She drags the doctor outside and helps him come to. She then asks why Zoanan wants to kill him, and the doctor says it's because he contradicts his existence. The doctor then notices the dimmed lighting, as well as the strange smell, and he hardly stops Lila from picking up her gun, which she had placed near a wall. The doctor shows her that the walls have become electrified. He then wonders why only the walls were electrified, not the floors, but he is suddenly attacked by the guard, who Lila interrogated, who now seems to be in some sort of trance. Lila attacks the guard, but he easily throws her off and tries to force the doctor into the wall. The doctor and the guard fight, and the doctor manages to kick him into the wall, killing him. The doctor then says they need to leave, and Lila picks up her gun, noticing that the power seems to have fixed itself. Meanwhile, Thomas and the others see the ship, and Neva claims that it is proof that Zoanan is a divine being, but he secretly confides to Caleb that he intends to kill the doctor. Back in the ship, the doctor is going through a supply chamber, and voices his belief that the very stupid and the very powerful share the same trait of altering the facts to fit their viewpoints, as opposed to the other way around. As he is speaking, Leela becomes possessed by Zoanan and attempts to shoot the doctor, who dives for cover when he sees her sneaking up on him. The doctor then takes cover and uses his own mental abilities to take over Leela in her hypnotized state and convinces her to drop the gun. He then brings her back around and says that they need to go to the main control room. Jable is alerted to the attack by the Seva team and he orders a trap to be laid for them and for the guards to draw them in by pretending to retreat. As they advance, Thomas begins to suspect that they are being led into a trap but Caleb says that he wants to defeat the Tesh once and for all and ignores his warnings. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Leela arrive at the main control room and the Doctor hacks into the main console and brings up all the security and s- system monitoring feeds. Leela notices a flashing light nearby and the Doctor reveals that Zoanan has put the atomic generators into overload so that they will explode and destroy the ship and most of the planet. He then begins to work on accessing Zoanan's mainframe in an attempt to rewrite his personality. Zoanan senses this and begins possessing the remaining Tesh, the Seva team and Leela in an attempt to stop him. However, Neva seems to be unaffected and he takes up a laser cannon and follows on after the others. Leela draws her knife and attempts to stab an unaware doctor, but he moves at the last second and she stabs the console that he was working on, passing out from the electric charge. The doctor then puts her to one side after making sure she is alive, but before he can return to his task, he is apprehended by the possessed Tesh and Seva team. An apparition of Zoanan appears and it orders them to kill him, but Neva appears and tries to shoot the apparition. However, he is vaporized by it. The doctor uses Zoanan's distraction to finish the headset that he was working on and he puts it on, plugging it into the mainframe and begins to rewrite Zoanan's personality. The atomic generators go back to their standard setting whilst the Tesh and Seva team regain their senses. Later, the doctor wakes up to find Leela eating some chocolate that she took from his pockets. She reveals that he has been unconscious for two days and he fearfully asks what has happened to Zoanan. She tells him that there has been no sign of activity from him and that the Tesh are avoiding the core of the ship. She says that there is currently a truce between the two factions and he decides to check the core, giving a curious Leela permission to come as well. In the core, a much more sedate Zoanan, speaking in a new voice, welcomes them inside. Leela asks why he pitted the two tribes against each other and he reveals that he used them to act out the torment of his conflicted psyche. Leela condemns Zoanan for his cruelty and the computer acknowledges its fault thanking the doctor for freeing it. The doctor admits that he is to blame as well for the mistake, but Zoanan doesn't blame him. He then invites him to sit down so they can discuss how to prevent it from happening again. Meanwhile, Caleb, Thomas and Jabel are arguing over how the tribes can move forward, but they are at an impasse. The doctor arrives and tells him that Zoanan has offered to aid both tribes in their development. As a gesture of goodwill, he has created a self-destruct button so that he can use it if he ever reverts back to his evil nature. None of them take the button and it vanishes, as Zoanan is pleased that they trust him. The two tribes revert to their bickering as they who should lead them, and the doctor quietly slips away. Thomas nominates Leela, but she refuses, saying that she doesn't want it, and turns to the doctor for aid, and chases after him when she notices that he is gone. 
She finds him at the TARDIS and asks to go with him. He gently refuses, but she rushes past him into the TARDIS and he tells her to get out. He goes in after her, telling her to stop touching things as the ship dematerializes. End of the story. So thank you very much, Paddy, for your recap. You're very, very welcome. Are you ready to step back into the the trivia spot? (laughs) I can try at the very least. Okay, let's do trivia for the face of evil. Trivia point number one. Trish never seen this. You knew that already. Anyway, mm-hmm. on to main trivia. Yes. The air date for the story is the 1st of January to the 22nd of January, 1977. The writer for the story is Chris Bowker? Bowker. Uh, I think it might B-A-U. be... B-O-U-C-H-E-R. I think it might be Bosher. Oh, Bosher. Maybe that. Mm. Yep. Um, this is the first of three stories written by Chris. We'll see his work again in The Robots of Death and The Image of the Fendal. He also wrote several Doctor Who novels, including Last Man Running, Corpse Maker, Science Fiction, I like that, PSI, (laughs) and Match of the Day. The director of the story is Pennant Roberts. This is the first of six stories directed by Pennant. We'll see his work again in The Sunmakers, The Pirate Planet, Shada, Warriors of the Deep, and Time Lash? Time Lash. No, it's Time Lash. It is Time Lash. It is Time Lash, that's cool. Also, just because uh, you said match of the day, uh, Paul, who we mentioned earlier, is a big football fan. So I can just imagine his glee at t- the concept of the Doctor taking on Des Lynam as a villain. <laughs> All I have in my work is like... I don't even know if that is the match of the day theme song. No, that, that's, that, that, no, no, that's the Sunday game. That's like... Oh. <laughs> that's, that's really... Uh, I can't even think of the match What's of the Sunday day theme tune. The Sunday game was like, gah. It's like you know, oh, it's, what the okay. it's, it's what they do. It's what they do for fucking hurling in football games. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah. going back to point, uh, Pennant Roberts passed away in 2010. Interestingly, oh, that sorry, is... wait, sorry. Yeah. Match of today is yeah. There we go. So, uh, interestingly, like a, a you know a story with a couple of firsts. So, first time for this writer, first time for this director, first time for this companion couple of firsts in the story. So the story had the working titles of The Tower of Emilo and The Day God Went Mad. I can kind of understand, but it didn't go with that one. Uh, Philip Hinch have, you know, objected to the latter for what might be considered obvious reasons to you and me, but actually mm-hmm. he just felt it wasn't in keeping with other titles. <laughs> he didn't really care if it offended people. I think at this point Philip was probably beyond caring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I, I broadcast, think he was, Sorry, he, he was, I think he was like pretty much like a god unto himself at this point, seeing how <laughs> successful his run on the show was going. Well, also, like, I think this was after last week's episode. I don't know if he was already on the way out at this point. Um, um I think he was, no, he, he was already on the way out over this point, I think. Yeah. So, when broadcast, this was originally billed as the start of a new series because there was a six week gap between. The final episode of the Deadly Assassin and the start of this one it was originally sort of, you know, oh we're gonna have the new series, but it actually obviously for us it wasn't. So this story has what I think is only our second fourth wall break in Doctor Who. The first being by William Hartnell in the story that was really good, but the episode of that story that shall not be named. Story being mm-hmm. the Dogs Master Plan. 
mm-hmm. um, where Bill Hartnell basically wishes Merry Christmas. I think it was. Yeah, because it, it was it was it was broadcast on Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here we have the Doctor directly addressing the camera and the audience on emerging from the TARDIS in Part One. I think this might be the only the second time they've done that. He, yeah, because the only other time we can think of is like, um, do you remember like that weird uh, interlude scene they did for like the connection between Revenge of the Cybermen and Terror of the Zygons, where he's like he's in the cinema. Yeah, but that was more of a, a, a yeah. Advert. That's more like, of a, that wasn't in the episode. Like yeah, that's more it's more of a skit than anything. But that's the only yeah. time I can think of. Yeah, so no, I think this yeah. is the second for Robert. So interesting that this is obviously this aired on New Year's Day. So I wonder if that's why they did it. Maybe. Either that like, or they're I, quickly realizing that the Doctor without a companion has no one to talk to. <laughs> um, actually, just on the subject, you know, because uh, for my birthday, Trish got me a really cool book. Uh, so Brace for Trish's Laughter, the name of the book is uh, Space Helmet for a Cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, yeah, it's the history of the classic era of the show. And at this stage, Tom Baker was really trying to do a lot of ad libbing and putting himself into the scripts uh so like i can imagine that this was something that he probably did himself yeah because like also like at this point in time you know tom didn't really think he needed a companion you know Mm -hmm. after liz left tom was tom asked could it just be him on his own yeah um so yeah that's interesting uh the janice thorns that lila uses um were originally meant to pronounce with the first syllable rather than with can so janice rather than janice um the <coughs> elongated a sound um, but apparently tom baker pointed out that janice thorne sounds like the name of an out-of-work soap actress <laughs> that's always changed to janice thorne but i pronounced J- a J- janice thorne janice thorne, J- yeah. as, as like yeah like, so like imagine there's like an e in there an extra e in there as yeah. well um the story was originally written with two endings. One with Alila going off with the Doctor and one where she didn't because obviously they were trying to decide what they were going mm-hmm. to do with the character of Leela if she was going to be the new companion and so on. It doesn't explain explicitly when the Doctor repaired the Starfall 7's computer. So, um, you know, it's clearly before this story mm. the Doctor's been to this planet. And he remembers it, so it's not a case of he will eventually come to this planet and cause this whole thing to kick off. It's not like a continuous cycle. He has been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, the novelization suggests that the earlier visit may have been in the moment when Sarah sees him begin to leave in the TARDIS. So that he did actually leave and arrive back like a millisecond of a difference. So you always see the TARDIS starting to dematerialize, and then he sort of comes back, he's like, you know, what do you mean I can't or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, so the novelization kind of suggests that it may have been then that he actually left and came back and that that could be part of like why the computer gets so addled is because he was still like just post-regeneration. Mm-hmm. We don't get any of that information though in the television version. That was purely just a novelization creation. I think it kind of makes sense, do you know? Because um, we don't have a lot of fourth doctor time where sarah isn't there um and the only other thing would be like have it be sometime after say pyramids and before hand of fear and sarah was there she just Mm -hmm. isn't mentioned in the story because it's not relevant 
Um, but if the doctor was meant to be there on his own, that really would have been the only time it could have been. Well, also, like, if you if you could think that after the deadly assassin, so, like, it could be the multitude of adventures he would have. Yeah, in like, between... how many adventures did he have between deadly assassin and, and the... A, a, and here, yeah. Um, so, Leela's costume, which a lot of people really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was designed by John Bloomfield, and it was actually um, Louise Jemison that convinced them to put the flap on the back. Or Richard did not have a flap on the back of it. Mm-hmm. So she made them put that in. Um, in the sort of behind the sofa segment, was the kind of like Leela's costume was kind of designed by a number of people, like as in they had input from a number of people. Um, but no, mm. she was the one who said like have something cover my ass please <laughs> yeah i think this is probably the d- definitive version of something for the dads in terms of a companion's outfit yeah i think so definitely yeah. um so at the beginning of part one uh the doctor whistles an extended version of the colonel bogey march which people may recognize from the bridge on the river kwai or the playground song hitler has only got one ball mm. depending on <laughs> where you heard it first <laughs> uh Bob Holmes had originally suggested that Lila possess some sort of like supernatural powers, which he invented this whole idea of like a witch priestess grandmother, which is why they all call her a witch. Because hmm. everyone calls her a witch, and whenever we get an explanation as to why. <laughs> um but Chris, the writer, decided that that wasn't really a thing, so instead he sort of gave her sort of like a sixth sense for danger. So it was sort of a heightened um awareness when it came to danger um hmm. i kind of agree with him i don't not really a big fan of the supernatural powers idea though it would explain why they keep calling her a witch <laughs> yeah, yeah like, the thing is like it's we've seen before how like the, thing, the show has stood time and time again on just regular i suppose you could say people or just re- regular companions like without a a fucking gimmick you know Mm. so i wouldn't necessarily see the benefit of the character having those powers yeah me either so one of the more uh interesting moments in this story i think for people is when the doctor threatens the 17 tribesmen who originally come across and he whips out a jelly baby and he's like you stand back or i'll kill this man with this deadly jelly baby that was tom's idea Hmm. Originally, the doctor was meant to threaten him with a knife, and Tom basically said no. He thought it was too violent and out of character, so he changed. It was changed to a jelly baby instead. Thomas was originally named Loke or Loke, um, and he had a more prominent role before we decided to give Leela more focus, which she did have considerable focus in the story. Yeah, uh, actually, speaking of it, I doing this edit so was really kind of difficult for me or like they're doing the readings they're difficult because you know my brother his yeah. name is Tomas which yeah. is spelled very similar to Thomas just without the the father so I had to keep stopping myself from saying Tomas yeah and also like I think in the original list you gave me you called him Thomas yeah. as in th oh right <laughs> that that was probably an autocorrect but let's talk about our cast. So as mm. Caleb, we have Leslie Schofield. This is the second and final appearance for Leslie. We previously saw him as Leroy in the War Games. So he's one of the soldiers in the barn 
yeah, he was the confet- the, the kind the of with the example we gave of like you know the southern hospitality type thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, Thomas is played by Brendan Price. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit. His non-Who credits include Softly Softly Task Force, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, The Sweeney, Robin of Sherwood, Emmerdale, and Borgia. Neva is played by David Garfield. This is the second and final appearance for David. We also saw him in the War Games, where he played Von Wyke or Von Wyke. Can't remember how we pronounced that time. Yeah, the guy with the monocle. Yes. Andor is played by Victor Lucas. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Victor. His non-Who credits include The New Statesman, World's End, Gary Halliday, and The Flying Swan. Victor passed away in two thousand. As Jabel, we have Leon Eagles. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Leon. His non-Who credits include The Tomorrow People, Julius Caesar, The Black Tulip, The Jensen Code, Zed Cars, and one of my favourite Barry <laughs> Let's Creations, Gulliver and the Lilliput. <laughs> Leon passed away in 1997. The voices of Zoannan were provided by Tom Baker, obviously, and then Rob Edwards, Pamela Salem, Roy Herrick and the young child voice was provided by Anthony Freeze, who was 11. Lastly, we have Leela, our new companion, who is played by Louise Jameson. So Louise was born in April of 1951. She attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, RADA, um, along with the woman who will later succeed her as companion, Mary Tam. She spent two years in the Royal Shakespeare Company, performing in Romeo and Juliet, The Taming of the Shrew, King Lear, and Blythe Spirit. She'll go on to appear in nine televised stories, as well as the mini-episode Dimensions in Time. Patty and I talked about this a little bit off-air. Unfortunately, Louise's like introduction to the show wasn't great. Um, Tom Baker was particularly frosty towards her, and not very welcoming. Because he had kind of hoped that he could not have a companion. He'd hoped that they'd allow the Doctor to travel alone. And so he also you know, wasn't really fond of having someone new come in after Liz Sladen had just left. And he was also quite critical of the savage Leela's like, flesh-bearing attire and the fact that she's wielding a dagger all the time. He didn't think that really worked with the Doctor. Like... Mm who we know the doctor as um so that's unfortunate like that she didn't really have the big welcome and she actually said in um a documentary i watched i can't remember what documentary it was it was one of the ones it might have been one of the ones in the hand of fear where you know shortly after she left and obviously louise and this is the same called up louise jameson and was like or they bumped into each other so i was like oh how are you getting on with tom and you know, isn't it great? And isn't everyone great? Like mm. Liz was clearly be like, "Oh yeah, it's fantastic," and Tom's lovely. And Louise was kind of like, "I am not having that experience,", experience. which Liz Liz found quite shocking, apparently. Mm. Um, but so I, that's unfortunate. But the one thing that I I think is absolutely amazing, right, is that none of that from either side bleeds into their performance together on screen. Yeah, like I'm curious to see if it'll bleed into future stories, um, but. None of it is seen in this story. And I will say that, like, obviously, like, I've watched all the behind the scenes stuff and the, the Blu ray sets or whatever. Um, now the two of them get along very well. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I, I think, um, because based on the book that I'm reading at the moment, like, Tom Baker, like, kind of did a bit of a, a career retrospective, realized that he was being a bit of an asshole and has gone, like, did this huge, like, apology tour 
to the people mm. that he wronged. I think with the exception of one person who we will get to <laughs> at some point down the line. Um, but I, I, but I think it might bleed in a small bit because we've talked about it before that this kind of arc now with Leela's tenure is a sort of a Doctor Who version of My Fair Lady. Mm. Yeah, which is, which is what kind of like, that was kind of Philip's idea to have Leela be the sort of Eliza Doolittle character mm-hmm. to the Doctor's Henry again. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops. And I hope it doesn't come through on screen, that sort of behind the scenes tension, but mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see. Um, Louise has done a number, a large number of audio stories. And she also appeared as Patricia Haggard in the four directed video adventures of the investigating organization Probe with Caroline John as Liz Shaw. And in further works that were made based around Probe, um, which weren't like official releases, those two characters get together. I don't remember me mentioning that when we were talking about Liz Shaw, that like she ended up like marrying some woman named Patsy. Mm. Yeah, that's Patricia Haggard, uh-huh. who was that's... played by Louise Jameson. I don't think that's the cool. two I think that came out in like a home video kind of mm-hmm. story after Liz died. Or after Liz died, after Caroline died. Caroline died. Um so we never saw the two of them on screen together in that sort of relationship. But the two of them are on screen together in Probe. That's that's cool. Yeah. Louise's other credits include Emmerdale, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, The Omega Factor, EastEnders, and Blake Seven. So, thank you very much for all that wonderful trivia, and also our mu- musical renditions of both Match of the Day and the Sunday game. <laughs> you can uh, tell how much Trish likes sports, and by the way, if you didn't know those two things were a different things. <laughs> um, so, as always, now we're going to come on to the character discussion part of the podcast, where we discuss the Doctor, the companions, uh, the villains, and any prominent characters that you know, straddle the line between the two uh, groups. So uh, this week we have the Doctor. Uh, we have the companion of Leela. Then I put on the prominent character of Thomas. And then I have Caleb and or Jabel, Neva and Zoharan as villains. I I didn't originally put Caleb and Andor as villains. Mm-hmm. Only because, like, they're not like in comparison to Neva, they're, <laughs> they're not like particularly Caleb. I think like, Caleb wasn't a villain; he was someone who used things to his advantage. Um, Andor was a leader, not a villain. Jabel, yeah, I agree. Jabel, they were kind of dead. Um, but the other two, I kind of had them in prominent characters, but they'd be prominent characters more so towards the. Villains. I th- I think Andor would probably maybe prominent character because I think he's more of a patsy than he is anything else. Mm. But Caleb, I I would I would put him firmly in the villain camp. Okay. Yeah. So what we can do is we can do what we always do, which is Doctor Leela. Uh, we can start off then with Thomas, and then we can use Caleb as our segue from prominent into yeah. villain territory. So cool. you started off. Uh, you started off our wonderful uh, episode so you get to start off with the characters cool so 
the doctor in the story i like him for the most part um mm-hmm. i do have one criticism mm-hmm. which is like i know that the doctor doesn't like violence and killing as a general rule mm-hmm. but please stop o- judging other people's societal norms and placing limitations on someone whose people want to kill her it means mm. like no more Janice Thorne. Never, never again use a Janice Thorne. I, mean, I get it. A Janice Thorne is a horrible way to die, but mm-hmm. like these people are trying to kill her, <laughs> and in her society, this is a perfectly defensible weapon. You yeah, know? and like later he knocks someone into a wall and electrocutes them to death, and now he's like, yeah. oh, he wishes he didn't have to do that, and like she's acting on instinct, and you're Let's criticizing see. her for it. <laughs> Yeah, this is the thing is that like you know, Leela is a hunter slash warrior. Like this, yeah. like, it's you can't f- expect someone to immediately fight against their nature just because you're on the scene, you know. Yeah, and also like he makes that he he he, he says it to her as a directive. They do mm-hmm. not know each other well enough for him to be giving her directives on anything. Mm-hmm. Do you know it would be something if it was like you know two or three stories in and she was attacking people on a random planet mm. with a Janus thorn. Do you know, like, it was literally like, you know, she's on freaking, you know, Earth in 2257 and she's attacking random people with a Janus thorn. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like that, that would be different because she's using a weapon people can't recognize or defend themselves against against people in an environment that they're not used, not used to. The fact that the Janus Thorn gets used on her later on just shows that this isn't just Leela being a bitch. <laughs> this yeah. is a weapon that these people use as part of their natural way of doing things. So personally, mm. I just took a bit of an issue with that, which is the way he says it. And the fact that it's like this directive from on high after he's trying to convince her that he's not a god. It's like, if we're not a god, stop telling me what to do. But I think like it's the it's the natural hypocrisy of the doctor, like across mm-hmm. all four iterations that we've seen. It's like where he condemns violent actions and condemns people that do violent actions, meanwhile not really acknowledging the evil actions that he or violent actions he himself takes, you know? Mm. Like in this same story, he flicks what is essentially a land piranha at somebody yes. mm-hmm. for no fucking reason whatsoever. Well, the guy slapped Leela in the yeah. face, like so. He was like going, it was. Like, I think that was a complete over overcorrection by the doctor's part, you know. Yeah, but like, S- slap him back. Yeah. Also, she can fucking defend herself. Mm. Do you know, like, again, it's the hypocrisy that I don't believe. Like, overall, though, I actually mm. quite liked him in the story. I didn't like his fourth wall break. We'll talk about that later on. Um, I do quite like his interactions with Leela, other than that one piece mm-hmm. that one piece bothered me but everything else they were fun and not as condescending as i was afraid they would be because i kind of knew going in again i have like some sort of general cultural awareness of me as a character so mm-hmm. i kind of knew going in they were going for the eliza do little henry higgins thing mm-hmm. and i was afraid that he would be like super condescending to her mm-hmm. but he isn't he's actually very he takes his time with her like he doesn't snap at her or anything he tries to explain and then, like, when she has a sort of, you know, savage reaction or, like, a where she reacts to something as if it's magic or as if it's a god or whatever, he's like, is that what you really think? Like, he's not like, judging her for it. He's just leading her down to the next step. Yeah. 
based like off there's... of decisions that she already made herself earlier in the story. So, mm-hmm. and like it's as well like he's not, he's not you know uh, withholding on the praise for her as well like because do you mm-hmm. remember when he's like I need to figure out a way to get past that bar and she's like. Well, if not, he can get through it. How can we hear this radio signal? Mm. And he just kind of goes, "Lila, you're a genius, a genius." And it's like, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't bandy that word around lightly, like you know, as we've seen no, in the I, past. I, I quite liked that because I was afraid it would be very condescending. I'd actually hate it. <laughs> like you were afraid, like of a second Doctor moment, you know? Yeah, or even a third Doctor moment in a way. So he could be very condescending. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, he hugely. Be, so. Yeah, but either way, I was happy overall with it. How about you? Um, so, <laughs> how big does your ego have to be that you have to fight yourself as the villain? You know, <laughs> uh, but that's like, like I, I just fucking laugh at it, you know. But like, seriously, like I, I like you, I enjoyed the Doctor Alan this story. Um, the comedic timing, like um, as I said, like his little kind of moments of the the tennis match between Caleb and Neva. Um I, d- I did like the slapstick fourth wall break because he was doing it was a very Marx Brothers type thing, so I kind of enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Um but his interactions with everyone and like the Henry Higgins Eliza Doodle or you know reverse um Jane and Tarzan type mm-hmm. fucking uh, relationship that they have going. Um but the one thing that I thought was kinda cool was that um it's all like we don't get to see it enough. I don't think is that it, the consequences of him failing to ensure that what he is doing is the right thing. So like, yeah. like kind of like a reverse Genesis moment. So like he like absolutely thought through the whole idea of eliminating the Daleks from existence. Whereas here in his like he's now coming to face the consequences of his action, which is like that. I didn't check everything enough thoroughly. Mm. Uh, no, that's potentially excused by the novelization explanation. You know, it's like, oh, he went to the planet when he had just regenerated. And of course, like there's the fog that we see with a lot of Time Lords. But it's, I love the callback to that. And I actually like to see him take responsibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like that. When he finally figures out what happened... Mm-hmm. Like, this is my fault uh, there's no sort of i didn't know or how could i have known or any of that mm-hmm. he very much is like no shit oh this was me yeah and, I, I think, and, he, me. and he takes the blame for it the entire way through all like once the once the revelation is made so like what we're episode three or sorry mm. started yeah uh end of episode two start of episode three so yeah for the for over half the story like he never once tries to shirk the blame which is good. Yeah. So, moving on. Yes, we have Leela. Leela, Leela. Um, this is probably going to sound odd, right? Yeah. But, but for a character that is visually designed to be like a sort of a sex appeal for the show, her, se- her sex appeal is probably like the least distinguishing or at least the last distinguishing feature of the character for me as I'm watching this particular story because her resourcefulness, her intelligence, her skills and her insights are all, they all take center stage for me. And like then the outfit slash sex appeal is like an afterthought. Mm. 
Um, I sort of compare her a little bit to like Xena. Yeah. In the sense that I imagine like guys at the time are like, oh yeah, you know, something for the dads. And then you sort of realize she could kick my ass five ways to Sunday. Hmm. Or <laughs> like, like, that's for, for some people, that's quite intimidating. <laughs> or even like, you know, if we want to go with someone that we both, you know, have known and loved for a long time, Princess Leia. Oh yeah, like Leia was like you know, always, maybe not in so much in Empire, but definitely like in New Hope and uh, the start of Return of the Jedi. She's there as kind of like the eye candy of the story, but as you yeah. watch the actual movies, you're like, I'm not really paying attention to that. I'm paying attention to what she's doing. I'm paying attention to the actions she's taking and the dialogue she's delivering. That's the same here. I think some people know? would disagree with us on the beginning of Return of the Jedi, but you and I both have very similar feelings on that particular outfit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, I'm, like, here's the thing where it's like, where it's a character like that's meant to be like, or like even, you know, Seven of Nine. Seven of Nine mm-hmm. was designed to be, and it's like, well, no, kind of, fairly early off the bat, for me anyway, it's like, oh no, Seven is actually a fucking cool character. And that, mm-hmm. the, the part that's marketed ends up being the afterthought, f- yeah. for me anyway. Um, and I really enjoy that here. So, like, it's I for an introductionary story for a character. This is, I would say, probably on par with Time Warrior for Sarah Jane. Oh, I agree. You know? I agree. Like, as an introductory story for a character, I think she probably couldn't have gotten a better one. Yeah, um, I'll say I really like her. Um, I was afraid just because I hadn't seen a lot of Leela stuff. I'd seen clips, um, but that was about it. Um, I was afraid that she would be very quote unquote savage. Yeah. Um, you know that she'd be afraid of everything, or she'd react to everything as if it was magic. But she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Do you know she clearly like the story starts off because she's on trial for speaking out against an attack that she's convinced won't fucking work, and mm-hmm. she's convinced Zoanin is a fucking hoax. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she's like, this, this is ridiculous. So like. Before we even fully get to know her, we see that she's not gullible. She's not someone who buys into things when her experiences challenge that. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctor said, in, like you mentioned earlier, that like you know, people in power and the very stupid have one thing in common: they change facts to fit their perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas Leela changes her perspective. To fix the fact, to fit the facts as they are presented mm. to her, yeah, and she does that very well in a way that's very believable. Um, I know some people sort of probably thought that like her acceptance that he wasn't the evil one was very quick, but when the evil god or like the devil or whoever you know saves your life and you find out that these babies of jelly that he kills people with mm-hmm. are sweets, you're kind of like okay. I yeah. was sus on this stuff before. I'm fucking super sus now. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, if you if you're already like kind of like questioning the doctrine, like you know, yeah, you're you're not going to immediately fall back to yeah. being. 100%. She has the initial reaction of yeah. "Oh, holy fuck, your man looks like the fucking thing," but like she's yeah. not restricted by it. Um, I think in terms of like I said, in terms of an introduction, I think it's fabulous. We get to know a lot about her as a person. What her sort of morals are and stuff like that in a similar way to what we saw with Sarah Jane like you said mm. in Time War which is fantastic and I actually love I love the ending for her I love that like when the doctor wakes up she's just been sitting over him eating chocolate 
Yeah. And his chocolate at that, like. Yeah. I was like, you've been unconscious for two days. I've just been sat here keeping an eye on you. And like, Mm. she left him on the floor. I was like, yeah. He'll wake up eventually. I just going to sit here and keep an eye. He'll be fine. Oh, look. Does he have more sweets in his pocket? He does. But there's like, there's also like, you know, just some, like the bit at the very end where Zoanna manifests like a couch for them all to sit on. And like Mm. the doctor sits down with his cigarette case of jelly babies <laughs> but Leela sits down like in like the cross-legged pose like at the yeah. far end of the couch you know in the sense of, like it's it's always great and I've said it before it's like when a new companion comes in and even like their first performance like it's instantly a contender for like uh, best performance of their run for the show yeah. on the rambling you know mm-hmm. like the, the, this is yeah this is straight away as you know definitely into the top three performances and yeah. we, like we we haven't seen anything else. We haven't seen the Elseworlds, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I do love her her ending though because I mm. love her absolute terror at being elected the leader because mm. she's like, I do not want to be surrounded by these idiots. Never mind, lead them, <laughs> Doctor. Please take me with you. Because she's like, oh, I, I like you. I was like, was it? I'm completely. Um was irrational or something that she mm. said like basically just trying to fob off like you know oh i'm a it's like it's actually the one time like her femininity comes into the thing it's like you know oh like you know i i can't be trusted with this yeah because she's just like you're all fucking stupid like you're you're literally you're all mental this is insane i'd rather just leave you to try and solve this yourselves i don't want yeah. to be involved like as soon as she understood that they were like divergent from the same crew Mm-hmm. and that they've both reacted in extreme ways she's like well both of those extremes are fucking like stupid <laughs> i don't want yeah. to have anything to do with them no, <laughs> which I'm... i just thought was brilliant it's, like, it's a fantastic companion introduction of just like mm. you know why should i take you with me well you like me don't you yeah we had a good time we had a nice adventure can i come with you please Mm. and like there's like this like hodgepodge of like different introductory elements like you know in the sense of she's kind of built like the female jamie you know in the sense yeah. of the, um, the the savage companion or, or archetype mm. and then like i suppose like, there's the dodo aspect of you know where she just runs straight into the tardis and is immediately fucking pushing buttons and touching <laughs> shit you know um but like as you said like doesn't have the negative traits of those characters in the sense of like Whereas Jamie was like, oh, look, it's a big yon metal beastie, you know? And it's like, mm. she's like, no, there's none of that type of thing. Mm. And it's more from the idle curiosity rather than it's I want to learn as opposed to the just randomly push, pushing shit. Mm. Um, yeah, no, really good, solid performance, I think. Yeah, totally agree. Shall we move on to our prominent characters, so? though? Yes, we should. So, Thomas, one way we can both definitely agree is a prominent character. Yes. Uh, yeah. my overall you know, Thomas is a nice guy mm-hmm. he's clearly someone who has the best of the tribe at heart yes and like you know, like he believes Leela like you know, he was obviously in Leela's camp when she was originally being mm-hmm. kicked out and stuff Um, I don't know if they were originally going to go for like a romantic relationship between the two and then they dropped it I kind of got that kind of sense at the start Um, but like you know, he is like whatever's best for the tribe. And he's just an overall nice guy. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like he participated in the attack because everyone was participating. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, and that's why the attack failed, 
he would have felt like shit, which is why he called Caleb out on it. It was like, mm-hmm. if we'd had one more person, maybe we could have gotten like the idea that like his not participating. Like, what if he was wrong, mm-hmm. and his not participating is why they failed? Yeah, he he couldn't stand that. He's like, well, if they're all going in, you know, I'll die with my brothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll go in with them, and I think like that makes him a really good character. Like he. He trusts Leela, which I think is great. Do you know he doesn't mm-hmm. question her about the doctor or anything? She's like, "Well, Leela trusts you, so I trust you too," which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Do you know, how about you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I pretty much in agreement there. Like, um, I like that they didn't, they didn't have him be all like overtly in love with Leela or continually falling over, and instead he just like it's a show of respect of her skills and her determination. Like at the very start when she's banished and like she and he's like you know but the creatures that are out there and she's like look whatever's out there i can handle it he doesn't again never once is the fact that she she's a female is brought up mm. like he 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 respects her as an equal uh equal warrior equal hunter um and that's continually on display like it's he values their friendship or whatever it is but and he know in he in his in his heart he believes that Leela is best for the tribe, and like mm. he, as you said, like he's what I want, what's best for the tribe. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think a well written a well written character and a, and a good performance as well by your man. Yeah, yeah, no, like yeah. Thomas would be put into the the character grouping of all round good egg. Yes. <laughs> um. So with Caleb, how do you want to? to do it like so do you still have him as a prominent character yeah yeah but he's like the closest to being villain in the prominent mm. character list okay i would have andor so, as less of a villain than caleb so all right okay yeah um yeah okay we'll do andor as a prominent character because yeah as you say like, he's the he's the least villainous of everyone else um right. but yeah andor is a weird leader mm-hmm I say that because he doesn't seem to believe in Neva's rhetoric. Like, he fully, like, is a cognizant that Neva at least could be spouting total bullshit. Mm-hmm. But he makes the choice to follow that bullshit. And maybe you could say that he's following it for the betterment of the tribe. Like, the tribe believes in it, and so we're going to follow it. And, like, he does say to Neva later on, no, we're going to attack on your say so, but if this fails, we'll know you're a shard and we'll know that you're making this up. Mm. But like on the one hand, he comes across as quite strong. Do you know he wants what's best for his people? But it's like you clearly don't believe Neva though, or at least not a hundred percent. So why mm-hmm. go forward with it? Do you know, or why not demand more evidence? Why not you know go into Neva's private room and try and have a audience with Zoanne and yourself? Or something, do you know? I just think he's a bit of a weird hodgepodge of very calm and willing to listen. Because like, he does listen to Thomas, do you know, like in mm-hmm. whatever, but at the same time commits to Neva's rhetoric. It's like, yeah, it's, it's weird so like he's he's like he like as Caleb said, he's a puppet king. And mm. it's weirdly like, because he comes across at times, like he's completely under Neva's thumb. Yeah. 
And then when he tries to like act in defiance of being under that person's thumb, but still acknowledging that he's under that thumb, it kind of comes across as a bit foolish, you know? Mm. It's like if you're like if you're so if you if this is your belief, how do you end up in this position in the first place? You know? Yeah. And if if it's like a belief that you developed like after like so like you know just say like you you completely trusted neva but then you started to kind of gauge like maybe not so sure why haven't you voiced it to like other senior council members you know yeah it's i think there's like an element of face showing going on here that is it, it's it's not working out best for him you know yeah it's, it's kind of like he's trying to go with the popular vote mm-hmm. and the more people more people at the moment, more people believe Neva than don't. Mm-hmm. So we'll go with it. Yeah. But there's enough people that don't believe him. But there's enough people that don't believe him that I need to cover my ass. Mm-hmm. Which is... He's never going to win that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my overall... And like The reason why I had him down as like a prominent character rather than a villain is that like you know, like, he's a puppet. Like He doesn't actually yeah. I, I have think it's an like opinion that it... of his own. Yeah, like there's no action taken off his own whim. It's under like the influence or what he thinks is the right course of action as dictated by someone else. Yeah, or as dictated by the doctrine. Do you know, it's not um Yeah. There's no targeted malicious intent. No. Do you know, it's this is what our law demands and this is what mm-hmm. we'll do. Yeah. Then we have Caleb. Mm-hmm. Who you did put in the villain category. I didn't. I yeah. don't know why. <laughs> Um, so you go off with your thing, uh, or your rationale for him, and then I'll go with my thoughts on him. My thing with Caleb is, yes, he is more than a bit of a dick. Um, it's hard to tell whose side he's on, other than his own. Hmm. You know, he abandoned the assault, he attacked Leela, he put the doctor to the, what's it called? The, the, the Horda. The Horda, or whatever. So, in that sense, yes, villainous character. But in the other sense, like there's nothing personal about that. Do you know, I think, I think yeah, he's a villain, but he's a villain in the sense of it could have been anybody. He wanted to be in control of the tribe. Mm-hmm. The Doctor was the way to do that. You know, it's nothing personal. You know what I mean? It was just you have now given me a way to get get power. And the more I say it, the more he sounds like an out, outright villain. But I don't know why yeah. someone's a put as prominent characters because in comparison to Neva, I think he is the lesser evil of the two. I think because he's more of a sort of bog standard, I want power kind of guy. I think like the the one kind of major factor to this is that like he's willing to sacrifice the lives of the other members of the tribe just mm-hmm. to just like so his whole thing is like if the attack fails then like neva has lost his power it's like well how does the attack fail oh well we fucking lose and whoever dies it's just further evidence that neva's wrong it's like cool so you're willing to fucking step over the bodies of your fellow tribes people uh in an attempt to gain power not pe- uh, people that are opposing you mind you like like it's not like it's a, a fucking civil war but it's like you're willing to sacrifice all these fucking people in the possibility that you will gain power. So mm. you're coming across like, like the consummate politician, which is like, I'll sacrifice anyone and anything to come out on top. Um, so the, 
even if you hadn't been if you take the doctor out of the equation the attack was always going to happen that was the thing the raid was always going to happen and caleb's quest for power is always going to thing so if you take the doctor out of the equation caleb still willing is still willing to sacrifice members of the tribe so he can he can take over control of stuff mm. no mate that makes sense yeah no think about that way i think i was more together from a sense of he didn't want to commit himself to a plan he didn't think would work anyway because he thought mm. he was speaking bollocks oh, so yeah why should the... i die for mm-hmm. bollocks um the difference being that caleb or thomas didn't want to take that risk whereas caleb was not only more than happy to take the risk he tried to encourage other people to take that risk with him because like, he tried I... to get thomas to not participate he's like no none of us will go it'll just be the people who believe that go and thomas like but they'll die if we don't go or they could die if we don't go and caleb's mm-hmm. like well they could die if we do so I think it's more the fact that but, he went and then turned around and left. Yeah, and and then it's it's like that fucking you know kind of um, oh what is this you know start of the Hobbit fuck it uh, like the you know please help us elves and the elves march up and then they just fucking turn right back around that yeah. that type of fucking thing. Um, but yeah, no, just like he he reminds me, I don't think you've ever seen it, but he reminds me of a character from the movie Three Hundred, which is basically he wants to become um, this council member just wants to take control of stuff and he's willing to sacrifice Leonidas in the 300 uh granted he's being fucking paid off to do it but he's willing to sacrifice that and everyone else to become you know uh king and Caleb for me just falls right to that camp and I'm like nah fuck it if you're willing to sacrifice like you're saying that you don't believe in all this bullshit and we shouldn't believe in all this bullshit fair enough how about the people that do believe in it? Rather than trying to swing them around to our way of thinking, we'll just let them fucking kill themselves so that I can come out on top. Mm. Yeah, no good point. Yeah. So that's my thoughts on Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have the rest of our villains. So mm-hmm. Neva, Jabel, and Zoanan. Who do you want to do first? So Neva and Jabel are kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, I, one reason I like this story is that there's an awful lot of um, whether it be intentional or not kind of analogies to like separation of church and state and the combination of the two and the various types of kingdoms that can happen like which is like say like a theocracy you know where it's mm-hmm. like the head, the head of the church and the fucking leader of the tribe is essentially one and the same person you know <laughs> and making the, the rules for both um maybe do neva f- maybe do jable first because he's the least screen time of the trio yeah i think he's also the most easily explained he's a dickhead that needs to get laid yeah uh i i, I think that's like, given the fact that the tash are meant to be like they have psionic powers, mm-hmm. they you know he can control. Like he forced Leela to basically stop mm-hmm. breathing or fall asleep or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which means he can get into your mind. Mm-hmm. He welcomes the Doctor as the Time Lord returned. You know, mm-hmm. time for freedom, blah, blah blah. But even with all of his advanced learning. Even with all of his focus on the mind and like, bettering your mind. Also, as soon as he's like, Oh, so you're not come to save us? Kill him. Yeah. 
I was like, okay. This I, I just realized this scene. This kind of reminds me. Elements of it remind me of the savages. You know, the yeah. two societies and the one fucking planet, one deeming the other as inferior or fucking livestocky yeah. type thing. Um, yeah, it's very similar. Like, but the thing with Jabel is that, like, Jabel sort of like he criticizes other people for showing emotion mm-hmm. and fear. He's like, no, be analytical and whatever. It's like, but he doesn't take the evidence in front of his own face. Mm. I was like, so you're just a dickhead. So <laughs> that's it. So you're just a dickhead. Yeah. And like he's also an example of like as I said like where the, where the the head of both institutions is the one person, mm. and like without anyone to check his power, you like sometimes you oh you see like in some science fictions like that's a very altruistic person you know, mm. whereas another times it's like no like there's an element of fucking dark side and an element of like totalitarianism to the whole thing you know, and yeah like even like you know. After the doctor tells him to stop attacking Leela, he's like, oh, mm. we'll take her somewhere to take care of her. Um, and the doctor's like, great. Like, he know, like, he, he jumps to this massive conclusion that the doctor brought her there as an experiment. I was like, mm. did that? Did that look like an experiment to you? Because like, even with his own people, even with the other Tesh, like, everyone, everyone is beneath him. Mm. And like the way he speaks to him, even the way he holds himself, like everyone is fucking beneath him. Yeah, so just like, just as you say, go, you know, dip your wick somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, then there's Neva. I find Neva to be a weird mix of a character. Oh, okay. So, Neva of the second half of the story mm-hmm. is like Neva after the failed attack mm-hmm. is quite different from the Neva that we saw at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because his belief system is shaken mm-hmm. and stuff like that, um, and he goes into this fucking stupor, and then he's like, "No, I'm going to kill Zoanin because Zoanin lied to me." But at the beginning, he's fucking a weird mix because he clearly knows that half of what he's spouting is total fucking bullshit. Like the whole like, you know, fake like possession with the fucking blue thing with the handles. That he yeah. was just the one shaking, like, all oh, this bad energy vibes here, oh, mm. whatever. And I was like, he clearly knew he was speaking total bollocks. Mm-hmm. Total bollocks. And yet, part of him does believe in it. Like, he, he does speak to Zoanin. So, he does believe in it to some extent. But yeah. he's also making up loads of shit. And it's like, well, do you believe, like, do you believe it's all true or are you making shit up? Why are you doing both? So I think it's see all right, so this is the thing, okay, is that he knows Zoanin is a real thing. Yeah. Alright. Unfortunately, Zoanin's instruction to him I suppose is like, hey, let's just keep this between you and I. But he has nothing to show the power of Zoanin. So he does have to put on a bit of a fucking song and dance, you know? Yeah, but like bring the leader into your fucking room, so Mm. Let him hear the voice of Zoanin. Do you know what I mean? It it, it just seems like and maybe you know, maybe part of it isn't his fault. Zoanin is a schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's getting two sets of fucking information. Of here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's the litany. Here's the whatever. I want you to play it up, though. I want you to 
be over the top. I want you to be like maybe Zoanan was giving him two different fucking sets of instructions, <laughs> and this is the only way he could figure it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, his his costume is so funny, like mm. his like bastardized suit. Space suit, and then like the fucking hat with a glove attached to the top of it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, oh dear. Um, potentially controversial thing to bring up, right? Mm. But um, one thing that kind of I had was thinking the entire way throughout this for Neva, right? It was like, what's more dangerous than a religious leader who holds sway over the court? A religious leader who is actually as a god that communes back, mm. you know. And now, it's a controversial statement because, you know, for religious purposes, priests or imams or um, monks or whatever, they are meant to be the vessels of God or um, Muhammad or whatever, or whomever. And it's like, you kind of sometimes wonder the authority, the way which people speak. It's like, like, what's behind that authority? What's the confidence behind that authority? And yeah. here, I suppose, like with the with the beauty of like I suppose, like with science fiction, is that we can kind of write that element into it. But like here, like you could you can imagine what it was, what things would have been like, and we've seen it before in other genres of sci-fi, you know, other shows of sci-fi, like what it's like when people are just fucking making it up. Mm. But it's so much worse when the actual fucking when the the voice at the other end of the speaker answers back. Yeah, like it sort of reminds me, like if somebody described it that way. It sort of reminds me a little bit of. Um, one of the least favorite episodes of TNG by a lot of people. I don't think it's the worst episode. It's not great. Justice from season one. Mm-hmm. We have this perfect planet, these perfect people, and they have this one rule. It's their only rule. Do not enter the white cordoned off areas. Mm-hmm. And to do so means death. Because that's what their god told them. Mm-hmm. And that's the will of their god. And you're sort of watching going, that's such weird nonsense. Whatever. And then you find out that no, actually, no, there is a giant alien species that's taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, holy shit. Um, so, again, it's kind of the thing of, like, they have this weird rule given to them by God. And you're like, well, that's clearly, like, you know, someone made up a, a law ages ago and it's just total nonsense or whatever. Mm. And then you find out, oh, no, no, actually, there actually is someone keeping an eye on them that does intervene when someone tries to do something against them, oh holy shit! Yeah, or um, even if you go, even if you go like to Deep Space Nine, like you know, with fucking um, Win, you know, oh, and her, Wynn, her, and inter- yeah, like her interpretation. And it's like you know, like, like the thing is, like they're there and they exist, but just because they're not contradicting the shit that you're saying doesn't mean that you can treat whatever you're saying as fucking factual, you know? Yeah. You can't fathom what they are. Yeah, I think the other thing with Neva as well is the fact that he clearly enjoys his power. Mm. He's not just the humble priest. No, you know? no, no. He clearly enjoys his power and he wants more of it. He wants mm-hmm. Leela out because Leela's speaking out against him. Um, and again, like for the first half of the story, that's very much his thing, is that he wants all of the credit for what's happening when they successfully free Zoanin or whatever, he wants all mm-hmm. of the credit. He wants all of the power. Now we flip that with him in the second half of the story, where for episode three, he's pretty much a fucking 
Zombie. Zombie shot at himself to the point where the doctor, using his thin voice, asks him a question and he gets yes master, yes master. And the doctor stands like five feet away and covers his mouth and asks mm. the exact same fucking question. <laughs> yeah. And he answers him no problem. Um, But part of me does kind of say good on you, Neva. That as soon as he, when he realizes it was all a giant pile of bullshit, mm-hmm. he's like, fuck you, Zoanin. I am going to kill Zoanin. And because mm. he'd been controlled by Zoanin for so long, or he'd been communing with Zoanin, he's not affected by mm-hmm. Zoanin. So he just walks in with his gun and just like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, part of me, like, I kind of would have preferred to see him get his comeuppance with everybody else mm. and for him to have to admit what he had done and why he had done it and sort of have to, like, him versus Jabel and like both of them kind of having to mm. come to terms with what they did and said in the name of Zoanin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of felt bad that he got like disintegrated. Mm. But not really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those moments. It's like, you know, um, fucking Vaughn in the invasion. Mm. It's like, you know, it, it's great, you know, when he finally fucking fights back, but for like the preceding one is like seven episodes. Like, yeah. you're kind of a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then there is Zoanon, formerly known as Zoanon, <laughs> in, the, in the really early moments of this fucking uh, uh, story. And then it's like, no, no, are we all the same page? Zoanon, cool. Yep. And in Paddy's <laughs> notes as Zoanon, you spelled it X A, Anon. When you sent me over the list. Whatever, Elon Musk's kid, okay? That's. Not fair to Elon Musk's actual children. <laughs> no, it's it's not. No, it's not. I apologize. <laughs> um, I think Zoanin is a really interesting concept. I mm. love the idea of a computer that not only has a split personality, but also a god complex. Mm. It's so interesting. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to see more of it, though. Um, I was really like, oh my god, what's this? When it was like the you hear the little boy's voice saying, mm-hmm. who am I? I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, is this like a progressive thing where there's constantly going to be new personalities coming out? And it sort of reminded me in a way of uh, the SG-1 episode Lifeboat. Remember when Daniel gets all of these like consciousnesses downloaded mm-hmm. into his mm-hmm. head and it has one of yeah. Fraser's best lines ever. Um, which is you do not de- you do not belong in that man's body, and I intend to take it back. Best Fraser scene ever. Um, mm. But where you have all of these new personalities coming out, and one of them is a little boy. Mm-hmm. And part of me was like, you know, oh, like over the years, did Zoanin also absorb? Like, because first they say it's a survey team, and then they say it was like a colony ship. Like, were there kids on this ship originally? And like after Zoanin took the doctor's brain pattern and achieved sentience, did he inadvertently absorb other brain patterns as well mm. that are only now expressing themselves? Mm. So like when the little boy's voice started, I was like, oh, holy shit. Is there actually going to be more personalities coming out? Is one of them going to be a sort of childlike personality? 
And is or, or like is that where originally having the two groups came from because the child playing war or something? Or like it was the because like what I had thought was because the doctor said that he didn't recognize like a birth trauma yeah. of a so I was like going obviously there's like the doctor element of Zoanna yeah. and then there's just Zoanna as what it would have been before the crash. Yeah. I was thinking that the little boy was going to be that birth trauma, that new entity that had been born. That was like the core yeah. of the new personality. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, but then it just was like, nope, it's just some fucking random voice. It is, it's just the voices just freak you out. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was probably the only downside with Zoanna that I think was sort of underutilized. And I'm sure like had it been maybe a five-parter, we may have seen more about the yeah. personalities, maybe. Because I think that would have been a really interesting concept to see is, you know, not only... Because then that puts the Doctor in an interesting position where not only does he have to remove his own memory pattern, mm-hmm. but potentially having to remove others as well. And mm-hmm. does that mean essentially killing, like you said, if the boy's voice was the new entity? Mm-hmm. Is it essentially killing him or whatever? So I think that I yeah. think it could have been a bit more. Or like the um, well, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Voyager Tuvex, you know, yeah. when Neelix and tu- Tuvex, Tuvex yeah. you know, it's like, are you killing this new person to get the two old people back? You know, yeah. Which I, I like, kind of is... would have liked to have seen a bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that what we got was bad. It's just I think it had great potential to be. To oh, be more. huge, huge! Like there's like it's as you say like it's such an interesting idea to do um and like not even like you know like the the multiple personalities and like you know the god complex but to have one of the personalities be like like a reflection of the doctor yeah. like, i think that was a ma- masterstroke but like the i think the question that's at done at the end and like it will come up in my thoughts overall um like how Leela says that you know what you did was despicable. Like you pitted two groups against each other in, in, in a sort of like an experiment, to, like with all these various different mm-hmm. eugenics uh, overture or themes, and um, like you know how respond, like you know how much is like Zoanan responsible for it? Like the like the remaining personality of Zoanan, mm-hmm. like what's the culpability there? And, like, even now that he's fixed, essentially, and like they had that sit down to say, like, well, you know, like, where did I first go wrong, you know? Mm. That's fine for you. But is the damage done, or is it already done between the two factions now? That, like, they're at an impasse when the story uh, ends, Yeah, you know? And it's like, if they're at this continual loggerheads, how long can you stay the course with this new mentality you have before you slip back to being... Like before, you either take control again, or they revert back to you as being this godlike figure, and you have no choice but to slip back into that side of things. Yeah, because that's know? the one thing. Like, I don't get how, like, with Zoanan remaining and remaining on the planet, I don't get how the people left on the planet now that Leela has left don't just naturally slip into, well. So Wannan for a while was a god with a personality disorder, but he's still a god. Hmm. Do you know? I, I don't get how they don't naturally fall back into that. Hmm. And like... Like, it would it, almost have been better if, like, 
we find out that like oh there was actually an escape shuttle and it was fixed years ago but the Tesh never knew what it was so they never left and like Zoanin leaves the planet and just leaves them mm. fucking alone to yeah. develop on their own like I don't yeah like I agree I don't think this necessarily was a six parter but there's yeah. there's untapped and unfinished elements here that yeah. would have warranted for either a fifth episode or a restructuring of the story itself. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it ends in the novelization. If there's mm. any sort of if that those last two scenes, well, bar the last three scenes, if they're written any differently, if there's any sort of you know mm. insight given, like internal monologue or whatever given, to sort of mm. explain that a bit more. Um, but you know, there's always so much you can do in a story, and it's perfectly mm-hmm. fine for us to come back thirty years later and be like, "Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I, I like uh, this way." And as well, like you know, the fucking constraints that Hinchcliffe and fucking even like script editor like you know Robert Holmes were fucking yeah. under at this point in time as well, like you know, from the higher ups, it's like. <laughs> They had a vision for what the show could be, and I suppose yeah. as well when you've got kind of Tom Baker like fucking swinging his scarf around the place, you know, yeah. uh, it, it can be a bit difficult. But like it's just, I think it's it's having the seeds there is is better than having nothing at all, you know. Yeah, I think what you could, I think this story could very easily have been like if you take out the fact that the show was called Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And you replace the doctor with anybody else. Mm-hmm. This would have been a very interesting film. Because mm-hmm. I think in film you can do different things. Yeah. But I think it's a very interesting premise for a film. Mm-hmm. And part of that I'll get into in my overall. But okay. Zawanin in particular. Mm-hmm. Is a very interesting premise for a film. Because also, we keep referring to Zoanin as a he because you know, Zoanin isn't just a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself is a very interesting premise, I think. Yeah. Then again, I also refer to Alexa as a she. So. Yeah. And she's not sentient, last time I checked. <laughs> Yet. But last time I asked her, she says she wasn't. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So we have reached the end of this particular road. So uh, we will now give our thoughts of the story and give a score of five. So Trish, lead us on. So I mentioned earlier this would make a really interesting film. Mm-hmm. There is a film that has a lot of elements of the story. Mm-hmm. It's just missing Zoanin. Mm-hmm. And that was Tim Burton's Planet of, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Which does have, which does have, like, you know, yeah, fucking was it Kalima and Simos and that weird fucking ending that, yeah, doesn't it doesn't it well? Yeah, no. Uh, Um, Of of all like of all the Planet of the Apes movies to bring up on the on the podcast, you have to bring up the worst one. (laughs) Is it the worst one? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. It's this. This is okay. This is my belief that it is the worst one. It is the only one that I do not have a physical copy of. I don't have any copy of it whatsoever. 
like many things when it comes to like science fiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was the first Planet of the Apes movie I ever saw. Yeah. Same as Terminator 3 was the first Terminator film I ever saw. Alien vs. Predator was the first Alien film I ever saw. <sighs> Episode 1 was the first Star Wars film I ever saw, mm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to this. I, like I said, overall, I think the premise of the story is really interesting. The computer mm. was a spit personality and a god, god complex. That is like an elevator pitch for a movie or for a story. You have me straight away. That's super interesting. Add in the sort of psionic abilities and it's stacking up like all the interesting Mm. things about the story. Um, I thought it was a really good introduction to Leela. Like we said, you get to see where she comes from and how she reacts to new experiences. And there's no thing. There's no time wasted with Leela. There's Mm. no filler with her. No, it's straight into the action. All go and all good character building the whole way. She's a ready-made character on uh, uh, already done. Yeah. What I will say is that the implementation of the story and some of the supporting performances were a bit lacking for me. Hmm. So the Horda was really odd. Right. So the Horda are basically land piranhas. You know? And at mm-hmm. one point, there's a very sort of James Bond-esque thing of the floor coming apart and you're going to fall into a pit of land piranhas. <laughs> and the whole thing is, are you going to face the Horda? And it's like, this is the ultimate test. This mm-hmm. test is to tell if you are immortal or if you are, like, you are being judged and all these kinds of stuff. The test is snap a rope with a crossbow well with a bolt Mm. from a crossbow Mm. and it's made to seem insane it's meant to be this crazy thing and there's two things that kind of hold it back in my opinion one yeah we do we see the doctor fling the fucking horda at that one guy who ran off screaming but we only ever have their word for it that it strips the flesh off you you know we Mm. didn't actually see him tear it off and whatever but two leela the stress is the point of it gets thinner and faster. It get, which is clearly like that you are going to very quickly run out of time to do whatever it is you need to do. Mm. And then it's revealed that the thing that gets thinner and faster is the rope. Mm-hmm. Except the way they shot it, that rope didn't get any fucking thinner or any fucking faster. And the doctor <laughs> had fucking ages yeah. to acquire an aim and shoot. So it's like this big build up that they failed to deliver on. Um, similarly, like you know, I think the way Neva was done was a bit too comedic, and mm. maybe there's no good way of doing the whole, you know, tribal tribal shaman, tribal shaman without being super fucking offensive, or to do the whole religion based on a misunderstanding of modern or future technology or whatever maybe there's no good way of doing that i just think they could have done the implementation better and even something simple like the tesh their outfits are like these green and pink monstrosities i thought they were extras from tron yeah or like from the fucking 
the Emerald City or something. Right? Quickly, Leela, to the light cycles. <laughs> to, 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 or I think something fucking Oz or something. Mm. Whereas I would have expected them to be more drab, more, you know, just a jumpsuit. Like a, mm. you know, basic, like clearly not of the land, like in the case of the Seventeen, but like not these like bright green and pink monstrosities with sparkles on them. Well, I th- I think the sparkles were meant to be like LED lights. So if you th- if you kind of think about it, like the Tesh who are the technicians, hmm. maybe like you know this is like a sort of first step on an eventuality of becoming like the Borg. You yeah. know, like becoming part machine, part human. You know, in lines with you know we are the the tech, we are look after the ship. Maybe, but possibly no. That that that, that was my read on it. You know. Yeah, I just thought them as sequins <laughs> because <laughs> I lost Jada my heart to flashy, being yeah. flashy, um, yeah. or even like the whole idea with the Tash and the fact that like because Jabez is like oh. We gave up the sins of the flesh and focused on expanding the mind. It's like, okay, well, all we know of the Seva team is that they're warriors. We only see like three women, if even, mm. and only one of them has a name. Do you know? <laughs> and is mm. in more than one scene. So, like, where are these like sins of the flesh that the Seva team gave into? Just that there's a few <laughs> little bits there where like some things they said in the script that just. Yeah, because in the case, it's did not what you're describing. <laughs> did you did you kill off all the female Tesh? Yeah, and also if you killed off all the female Tesh, where did new Tesh come from? And yes, why do you exactly. do this weird sort of like Mexican wave when you're saluting? It's like I, so weird. Um, but yeah, so for me, it was a case of the story idea was really good. The Doctor was good. Lila was good. Some of the supporting cast were good. Some of the supporting cast were meh. Um, I think there was some bits of the implementation though that either cut it out, they either don't have, either have the horde just be a big giant animal and the doctor grabs the crossbow to, you know, not cut the rope mm-hmm. or something. Um, so a couple of bits. For me, I gave it a, I originally gave it a three. Mm-hmm. I think I'm being cruel. I'm going to bump it up to a 3.5. I think I was being a bit right. harsh. How about cool. you? Um, so, like you, like yourself, you know, I'm sold an awful lot in this story, like because I love the genre of like, you know, like facts, like like you know, like in Lord of the Rings, you know, like you know, facts become myths, myths become legends, um, or they're also like insane computer gods. That's a, I think it was like a fair chunk of the original series of Star Trek at one point, <laughs> but like I, I really enjoy it. Um, tribal politics and the influence of religion over leaders and it throw that into a science fiction element I love it like I'm completely there for it um, a really good showing from the doctor as we said mm-hmm. uh, a fantastic performance from Louise Jameson in her debut yep. like as Leela you know because like um, one thing as well is that she's wearing really painful contacts at this point in time yes she is so we didn't specify this in the trivia so Louise Jameson's eyes are blue mm-hmm. but they wanted her eyes to be brown and she's like, probably because they made her skin quite brown. They kind of bronzed yeah. her up a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get brown eyes when your eyes are blue, they have to get these like, horrible red contact lenses. And apparently Philip Hitchcliffe is like, I didn't like that. I don't know who made that choice. But like Philip Hitchcliffe hated the fact that she had to do that. Um, mm. 
he was he doesn't know who made the choice. He's like, ah, no. Yeah, and like so, like to be in that much pain with an act with a co-star that's like not particularly fucking fond of you, and then having to like do all these action sequences where like you know half the studio is trying to take a look where the sun doesn't shine, you know? <laughs> like, it's a fucking fantastic... And, again, I limit, with the limited amount of cuts and edits that they could do with the budget at the time, great performance from her. Yeah. Um, where it loses marks for me is... No, normally I would complain about stuff not being wrapped up, okay? However, um, sometimes I think that it's good to be reminded that when the doctor leaves, life goes on, yeah. and life isn't always going to be so. Like Caleb, which was not kind of the whole point his... of the story in the first place. Yeah, so like Caleb not getting his fucking comeuppance for like all his bullshitting treachery, you know, the arguments over as to what's to happen going forward. Um, will Zoanan revert? Like, uh, I I liked the, I liked that aspect of it. I liked that aspect of anything. However, um, the tone of the final sequences with Leah, the Doctor, and Zoanan, you know? Mm. Like, the comedic music playing over, like, the, where did I first go wrong? And it's like, and then, like, you know, the really stupid comedic mu- music and the Doctor pulling a strange face. I'm like, okay, he's asking you how he turned into a genocidal maniac. This is not the time to do, like, the fucking piano fanfare. Um, or, like, for the Doctor to look fucking sheepish. Um also, Leela, who had just given out to Zoanan for being a genocidal maniac, uh, laughs when, like, the doctor was, like, kind of saying, like, oh, well, you know, it was my fault, too, and, you know, nobody's perfect, and then they all share, like, this country club laugh, and I was like, that's very fucking odd. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that. Also, the huge loss of potential with, like, why does Zoanan speak in different voices if it doesn't have distinct different personalities like it speaks as the the doctor it speaks as a regular human or sorry as a a middle-aged human an old man uh, sorry middle-aged man an old man a a middle-aged woman and then we saw the young boy Hmm. or the young child and it's like none of that is explored none of that is explained it's like surely you would have distinct personalities to go along with these things or if you were going for the whole homogenous, like it speaks with the voices of many, I think, well then mm-hmm. have all the voices speak at the exact same time and say yeah. the exact same thing as opposed to being conflicting, you know, like the whole, like, you know, we, my, our name is Legion for we are many, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's what, what they were seem to be trying to do, you know, without having distinct personalities. Um, but overall, I was actually really impressed with what the story was trying to delve into and the topics that it was trying to go with. So I give it a four out of five. Very good. Um, so similar to our last story, Deadly Assassin, that you gave a four and I gave 3.5. Mm-hmm. It's the bitterness of Sarah J. No, it's not. It's... <laughs> no. Um, but no, again, like I think it's just like... Lately, like we've been seeing a lot of pushback to female-led um, fucking movies, action adventures, or even franchises, mm. and you know a counter argument. Like I know they say, like oh, but like you know we liked all these women way back when. And like a counter argument to that is like you're like oh, you know when they're just fucking like eye candy or bits on the side and all this type of shit. And it's like when the character was well is well written and well performed and given a good representation. 
it's like I, I like seeing that and I the fact that we have Louise Jameson here who's brought in as a character meant to be kind of like a sex appeal type thing but it's the least distinguishing thing about her I really mm. really do appreciate that in this story yeah I mean like if, you, if we compare it back so we're now into our fourth sort of Doctor Who girl yeah, because right. I don't think anyone would class Polly or Barbara or Vicky or Dodo or anyone. I don't think I would class them as Doctor Who girls or such. That that in that definition clearly came out of John Pertwee's era as mm. a sort of comparison to the Bond girl. I would say maybe Polly because you know the whole like swinging sixties type vibe, but definitely from John's era onwards. Yeah, so maybe Polly. I think the reason I don't do Polly is because Polly's usually paired up with Ben. So, yeah. But this is the fourth standalone female companion in that sort of run. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think the outlier in terms of a really strong introduction to a character is Joe. Joe, like compared to the other three, Joe was kind of shafted. Supremely shafted. Do you know? And you know, we kind of talked like was Joe kind of, you know, she was meant to not be as intelligent as Liz Shaw, and like Liz Shaw had her something for the dad's moments as well. Those boots and that's mm-hmm. hurt. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, Joe, like, was Joe a kind of something for the dads? You know, you know, we talked about how like you know she was very much, from some people's perspective, meant to be like the perils of Pauline kind of thing. A lot, mm. a lot of ways. Um, but it's interesting that if you were to put these women in a lineup, the one that you would definitely say, okay, well, that's the fucking something for the dads, just the eye candy, isn't going to have a whole lot of depth, is actually very com- very competent, very capable, very intelligent, and has a whole lot of depth and great characterization in her first outing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think part of it is... And part of it doesn't kind of want to... Like I don't know if there's another companion comes up that kind of falls into that mold, but I kind of don't want to use this something for the dad's comparison anymore. Um, and I kind of feel bad that we've been using because we were never said that we think someone was something for the dads. Yeah, we said that like, no. historically they were seen as. But I actually don't so, like that anymore because I think it's possibly limiting limiting our view of the character based yeah. off of what people thought the character was going to be. There's one other character that's going to come up that I think would probably fit or would be thrown into that mold, and that's mm. uh, Perry, uh, Nicola Bryant, mm. because of some of the costumes that she or the outfit choices that she she's given, and it's mm. like doesn't really seem particularly necessary, nor does it seem to gel up with the character, you know. Mm. Um, but we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, no, like, it's like. <laughs> Like we got it from Daryl O'Brien, yeah. And like, it, like, and he does like he makes the whole joke of like that. These things are put into shows because of the belief that men won't like men. And he actually says this: men won't pay attention unless they see something that keeps them relatively horny for the duration of it. Mm. And it's like, and he's taking the piss out of it. Like he was like, I, I'm not an ape. I don't need to see this type of shit. And he's right. Unfortunately, it's just like it's the terminology that we use to fucking describe characters that are brought in with that mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, overall, I think, you know, in terms of getting back into this after seven weeks, I sort of joked with Paddy that I wrote the initial trivia notes for this 
um, six weeks ago when I was in Berlin. <laughs> and I only watched the episode two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Life really did very much get away from me. But we are back now. Yes. I don't foresee any reason why we can't record next week. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, and next week we have the Robots of Death. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that'll be our second last story of this season. Just give, okay, you know, I know some people are interested in the rankings so far for this season. Patty, you're on a 4.13 average, and I'm on a 3.81. I've had three stories so far this season that I've ranked lower than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mask of Mandragora, you had 3.5, I had 3.25. Hand of Fear, we both had 5.0. And then Deadly Assassin and Face of Evil, you gave four, and I gave both of those a 3.5. So it's not too much of a difference, but some small differences there. In how we I, th- I think the big one that's going to be a really difficult one to score is probably excuse me, the season finale, due to the reputation that it has. And Yeah, like I, I have never seen a single clip from the story, but I'm yeah. familiar with it just from the name. Yeah, so like I'll be very interested to see your viewpoints on it. Because this is, I think, yeah. one of those stories that we we haven't even touched upon, even just in passing, you know? No. We've never discussed it. No. Um, but we've next week to get through first. Yes, Which absolutely. is Robots of Death. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.